Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a exciting guest interview for you. Today's guest is Alexander Sorokin. So for those who aren't aware, Alexander Sorokin has been on an absolute tear the last couple of years, breaking all sorts of records in the ultra marathon world. His main focus are more runnable events. So he targets a lot of timed events from six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours to kind of some of the more standard distances, like hundred kilometers and hundred miles and things like that. Since he started focusing on ultra marathon running, he has had an incredible journey. So a lot of people have learned about him in the last couple of years, but he has actually been around for a little bit. And I even learned some stuff uh, that I was unaware of while doing some research for this episode. Uh, I didn't know, but at the time when he was kind of first getting into the sport, we were both racing the world hundred kilometer championships in 2014. And then again in 2015, uh, for those who want some context on that, in 2014, I finished sixth at that championships. Uh, I believe he was 33rd. The following year, I had to drop out. I got actually rushed to the hospital. I had some sort of like reaction to presumably like the the pollen or something in the air there. And he ended up making a, a big improvement from his prior year's race and finishing in the top 10 there. Uh, with that said, Sorokin was just getting started at that point. His journey is incredible. He actually was a fairly competitive kayaker earlier in his life and uh, eventually stepped away from that for work-related stuff and ended up gaining a bunch of weight. He got up to about 100 kilometers. I'm sorry, got up to 100 kilograms. And uh, from there decided, hey, I need to get control of my health. I need to stop drinking. I need to stop smoking. I need to get in shape and start running. So he started running, did a, did a half marathon, and then eventually started thinking about doing some longer stuff and ran a, a hundred kilometer in those early years in 2013. He ended up uh, having some more success as he progressed in the sport, but nothing near what he's done recently. Uh, he went on and won the 24 hour world championships as well as the Spartathlon. Uh, but in 2021, in April, he kind of burst onto the scene in a little bit of a bigger way by breaking uh, what was at the time my 100 mile and 12 hour world records, which was what really put him on my radar by running uh, 11 hours, 14 minutes and 56 seconds for 100 miles and covering just over 105 miles for 12 hours. He did this at the Centurion Track Invitational in London. And from there, he just started churning out record performance after record performance. And the way he did it is still fascinating to me, where from that 100-mile world record, he pivoted and focused on the 24-hour race, where he decided to go after one of the most stout world records the ultramarathon community had at the time, which was held by a guy named Giannis Kuros. Giannis had run just over 188 miles in 24 hours, and uh, Alexander went to that 24-hour race and put up 192 and a half miles on that. After that record, he decided that he wanted to take another shot at 24 hours. He thought he had more improvements to be made, but 
the way he wanted to do it is he wanted to do it at the European 24 hour championships. So he went on and broke uh, the 100 mile and 12 hour world records again, this time being the first human to go under 11 hours, running 10 hours, 51 minutes and 39 seconds, and then getting just past 110 miles for the 12 hour mark. After that, stepping down in distance again to 100 kilometers and ran six hours, five minutes and 41 seconds for that 100 kilometers and actually splitting 98.496 kilometers for six hours. So for those of you running math in your head, that 100 kilometer pace is sub six minute miling for 62 and a half miles or 100 kilometers. His 100 mile and 12 hour world records are right around a 630 minute per mile pace. He wasn't done yet. He's still the European Championships ago. So those who've been following ultra running news will realize he went there and put up an insane number, hitting 198.6 miles, just missing 200 miles. But as you'll find out through this interview, there may be some room on the table for him to hit that 200 mile marker. I think we will see that sooner or later. So for this interview, we jumped into a whole bunch of different stuff between just like how he got into the sport, why he chose the races he did what he plans to do in the future, some of the specifics about his most recent training block, how he structures that sort of thing, and just the attention to detail that he has with his training or the focus he puts into it with some of his big training buildups where he's oftentimes hitting over 200 miles per week. And it's not just 200 miles of shuffling around. He's oftentimes doing these 50 kilometer plus runs at like mid to low six minute pace. Uh, so he's definitely putting in a ton of work at a very high volume. I was interested to hear about kind of the reasoning for that, because when you get into volume like that at, you know, even for someone as, as talented as, as Sorokin has to be in order to do what he's done, that's a lot of stress and impact on the body. And the reason that running tends to be a little bit different than some of the other endurance sports is that impact of running. So when we talk about things like swimming, biking, skiing, and stuff like that, huge endurance component there, a lot less impact. So oftentimes those athletes are able to put in larger volume training blocks and stay injury free and recover and improve. Whereas Roken seems to have found a path forward in terms of being able to do some, some of that sort of volume, uh, relatively consistently so far. Uh, we'll see how that goes going forward. If he'll be able to continue doing that. He is, uh, an interesting person to talk to for sure. And I had a lot of fun getting to know him a little bit better, sharing his story a bit here and talking about his records, how he got to him. And I know a lot of people have this question, what's next and what does he think he can do? He shared some of the what's next, some exciting stuff that you'll want to hear about what he's got on his race plans going forward, as well as some of the numbers he thinks he can produce. So definitely uh, pay close attention. Uh, one thing I will mention is, uh, Alexander Sorokin has recently learned English, so he's still working on becoming a little more fluent at it. So this interview went really well, all things considered. He uh, was able to answer the questions pretty fluently as far as I can tell. And I did send him a list of the topics and questions we were going to go over ahead of time so that he would be able to kind of prepare a little bit. And, and he did a very good job. But I did want to do a little more thorough intro here just so you had some background on him and we would be able to get into some of those details uh, and not have to pivot too often since uh, for him to kind of 
process and then translating his head to English is going to be a little more difficult than some of the other guests. So I wanted to get that stuff uh, kind of out there in form before we go. Uh, I would love to have him back on down the road to dive into some topics that we talked about a little more deeper and uh, just get his take on some other things. I know I'll have some follow-up questions once I kind of think about some of his answers in more detail. And then when listeners start sending in things that they want to hear more about. So uh, that will be something on the on the top of my mind going forward after getting this one out there. All right, before we get rolling with Alexander, just a couple quick announcements. For those of you who are unaware, there is a show Patreon page where I do early release and ad-free episodes there. So if you want to support the show and I get access to the episodes before they're released to all the other podcast platforms and YouTube, you can head over to the show Patreon page. You can access that at the show landing page, which is just zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. A couple of guests that are sitting up there right now include uh, Stuart Chutter. Stuart Chutter is an ultra marathon runner, obstacle course racer, marathon runner. He's also a farmer up in Canada. He has a regenerative farm that he has uh, been working on for about six years. And he has all sorts of cool stuff there, including an outdoor gym with like squat racks and things like that, where he works out. He's done some really interesting things. Like he prepared for a marathon uh, eating nothing but food he grew on his farm and then competed in that marathon, eating only food from his farm. He's also done similar things like that, where he's only consuming food from local farms around his area and stuff like that. Just an interesting guy. I wanted to hear what got him interested in regenerative agriculture or agriculture in general, how that fits into his ultra running endeavors and that sort of thing. Fun guy to talk to. So that one's up there on the Patreon page right now. And then also Boyd Myers. Boyd Myers is a little bit of a less traditional endurance athlete. He's an Air Force vet, former bodybuilder. He actually owned a gym for a while when he was doing the bodybuilding stuff, but he ended up gaining a bunch of weight and then deciding, hey, I got to get healthy, lost 75 pounds through triathlon. Now he's participating in the Gold Star Initiative, where which gives veterans the chance to team up and honor Gold Star families by carrying an American flag during the run portion of select Ironman and Ironman 70.3 events and presenting it to the local Gold Star family at the finish line. So Boyd's done things like just a spontaneous, I'm just going to run 100 miles today on a whim to I'm going to run a full Ironman the next day, followed by a half Ironman and the Gold Star initiative in the process with that sort of stuff. So Boyd is the untraditional endurance athlete. He's sitting up there on the Patreon page right now as well. If you want to support the show, but don't want to join the show Patreon page, you can also do that through one-time donations at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO. If you want to support the show non-monetarily, liking, sharing, subscribing the podcast episodes to your friends, families, and followers goes a long way to help me grow the audience and continue producing this content. So if you do enjoy an episode and you want to support sharing on social media is a great way to do that. If you are looking for a little bit of extra support in your endurance efforts, I have a wide range of coaching options that range from pre-made plans following my philosophy, as well as one-on-one personalized plans where I will get into the weeds with you and help you solve all the problems of preparing and executing your chosen race. I also have consultation and collaboration options as well. You can find details to that on my website at zachvitter.com. Also, finally, before we get rolling here, uh, this episode sponsors and all the sponsors of the HPO podcast can be found at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. 
if one of the show sponsors has a product that you would find useful for your lifestyle, getting their stuff through the show links helps support the show. This episode's show sponsors include Ultimate Direction and their hydration packs and bottles, as well as LMNT and their electrolyte mix. Ultimate Direction creates top quality hydration products and apparel. Their hydration products range from bottles, handhelds, waist packs, and belts, vests, and full packs and backpacks. All are designed to fit comfortably and securely so you can head out on your run, workout, hike, or adventure with all the proper equipment to keep you prepared and hydrated. Some of my favorites that I often use while training and racing include their Race Vest 6.0, Utility Belt Plus, and their Clutch Handheld Water Bottle. I like the handhelds for shorter outings or outings I can easily refill, belts for humid weather runs where I may need a bit more supplies, and their vests for longer outings in drier weather climates. If you need to gear up for your outdoor adventure, run, or simply need a handheld water bottle or backpack for your gym workout of choice, you can do so and support the Human Performance Outliers podcast at the same time by clicking through the links in the show notes or at zackbetter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Element makes an electrolyte supplement with no sugar. Each packet is loaded with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. They come in convenient single-serve packets that make them great for bringing along for a run, hike, going to the gym, or while traveling. My go-tos are the citrus flavor and the newly restocked watermelon flavor for my long runs and post-run rehydration, as well as their chocolate flavor, which I love to add in my morning coffee with a little bit of creamer. Tastes great, and it's a fun way to start the day for me. If you are hesitant or would like to try out Element first, before you purchase, they are offering a flavor sample pack with one of each of their flavors for free to anyone who uses the HPO URL. If you want to check them out and support HPO along the way, you can head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. That's drink lmnt.com forward slash hpo links can be found in the show notes as well as at zackbitter.com forward slash hpo sponsors alexander thank you for joining me thank you hi hi everyone thank <laughs> you zach that you for uh, invite me to your podcast thank you yeah I mean, it's my pleasure it's just been an absolute honor to talk to you right now and then as well as follow what you've done in the sport the last couple of years and it just seems like every time you do something it's not too long after that you one up it or take another step in the right direction uh so i kind of want to dive into a little bit about what kind of got you to where you are today because i think your backstory is very interesting how you kind of got into running in the first place because i think when people see what you have done they probably think this this guy must have been running since he was born, essentially. But what sports did you do in your youth? I know you had a background in kayaking, I believe, at university. Was this your kind of primary activity, or did you do other things when you were younger that kind of got you into being active? Yeah, you know, my my in youth, my my main sport was kayaking. I was sprinter. Uh, so in from one thousand nine hundred ninety four until two thousand fifth, I. I was kayaker, so my results was so-so. I was 
uh, youth champion of Lithuania, but in world arena, I was uh, middle middle of results. So in 2005, I get injured. So I finished with my sport, uh, began easy life, lot of beer, junk food, smoke, cigarettes, and so on. So my weight was growing, growing, growing. And 2013, I understand that my weight is 100 kilos. I don't know how it in pounds. It's about 220, yes. Mm-hmm. So I understand that I need to change my life because it's terrible. I can't see in the mirror my face like this. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I began running because run, running is easy, easier way to lose to a weight, not need uh, special special things, just shoes and go outside and run. So my, my first competition was half marathon. I finished that and I understand that I want I can back to my bad bad life so I need to find my goal my motivation and one day when I walk in in the park <clears throat> I found invitation for 100 kilometers uh, running competition in, in my country uh, and and then the, and, and understand that it will be my goal. I want to prepare for this. I want to finish that competition, just finish. I began prepare. It was left about 50 days before the race. So I need to, to run more, more, more. That, uh, that day I finished that 100, it was terrible. I was painful. I can't walk about one or two weeks. But I was very happy because I finished that big job. Maybe in, after that, I in love in this ultra running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great answer, and I think it kind of gets into some of the stuff I wanted to talk to you about today. And one of them was uh, I was reading about some of your background, and it did say that in 2013 you ran a hundred kilometer in eight hours, thirty-seven minutes, and four seconds, which is a respectable time, especially for somebody who's coming in it from a, from a, from a weight loss journey, I would say, uh, today though, your hundred kilometer PR is a world record and it's six hours and five minutes. So you've managed to take two hours and 32 minutes off of that first hundred kilometer race that you did. Was there anything that kind of sparked your running in a way to make that much of an improvement or was it just simply being patient with the process and kind of like picking up goals along the way? that has you where you are nearly a decade later running the times you're running? Um, can you explain, please? Um, uh... Yeah, yeah. So like when you ran that first 100 kilometer and finished that race in eight hours and 37 minutes, what was kind of your next goal after that? Uh, I understand that you probably have had a lot of different goals between today and back then, but what was kind of your next your next step when you finished that first one? Did you decide I want to keep doing this? Or um, what did you have any hesitation about whether that was something you wanted to keep doing? Yeah, understood. Thank you. Uh, in that competition, uh, Gidiminas Grinius, maybe you know this Lithuanian trail runner, uh, put broke a Lithuanian record. 
it was seven hours and seven minutes. So I thought that time that that average guy broke the Lithuanian record. If he did, I want to do like that. I want to try next time to beat his uh, his record. So I began to preparing, and next year uh, the second hundred was seven hours and twenty minutes. Uh, it's almost almost a record, but uh, the same year in the autumn. I went went to my first world championship of 100. It was in Holland. Uh, don't remember name of the city. Uh, and the result was 650. So I beat him. And now it's my ultra running was born. And after that, next year, I want to find other 100 competition but don't can't uh, find good ones. So my friends uh, invite me, let's go to 24 hours running. It will be world championship in Torino, Italy, to 15th or to 16th, I don't remember. And <clears throat> that, that moment, and I was, in sh- I was shocked, but I first time heard about 24 hours running at all. So how people can run 24 hours without stop? It's crazy, crazy guys. But say, okay, let's let's do it. So my my first 24 hours was in Torino. It was 242 kilometers, and after that, of course, I one week or two weeks can run, can walk. It was terrible, uh, terrible race, painful, suffering, and so on. But I understand that it's mine. It's mine. I need. I can. I feel that that I can do more than I I did. Little by little, every year my <clears throat> results are grow was growing, growing, growing. Of course, sometimes I had some some down downhills. In 2017, I wanted to finish with my ultra running because my result was not good. Because before I ran to 260, then in that competition was 244, 242, maybe, I don't remember. I understand that so many works, so many kilometers was done and anything, no results. So understand that it's not for me. I began jo- I want to change the job, go to Germany to work in Germany. So... But I was <clears throat> in list in Spartathlon. I need to run this competition. I understand that I will put the point, finish point on this competition, Spartathlon. So, and I won this Spartathlon. <laughs> and he's, I think, saved me from finish of my running because I understand that can I run, I run good. And next year, I, I took a bronze medal from 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I have some questions that are coming up about Spartathlon and some of those other, uh, some of these type of events too that I'm curious about. But before we get into that, I do want to kind of jump into what I would consider kind of a big leap that that you made kind of during your running career, obviously going from where you started to being a goal of trying to get into shape and lose some weight to winning the 24 hour world championships 
finishing top 10 at the 100 kilometer world championships in Winshoden in 2015 and then ultimately also winning the Spartathlon in I believe what was 22 hours and four minutes which is a pretty respectable time but I think looking at your current records people will wonder uh how fast can you run that course but in 2021 before we get to that sort of stuff you ran 11 hours 14 minutes in 56 minutes for 100 miles and just over 105 miles for 12 hours as we've kind of talked about you've had some success before that with that 24-hour world championship top 10 finish at the world 100 kilometers and then winning spartathlon uh but i think your 100 mile and 12-hour world records was probably a, a step above uh, what what you had done previously and put you closer to Giannis Kuros, who many considered before you entered the sport, probably the best flat runner that we have seen in ultra marathon running. Uh, so what did you do differently to prepare for Centurion 100 in 2021 that kind of got you to be able to kind of take that next step? Was there something different in your training or your approach mentally? Did you do anything differently or was this just kind of uh, a progression of what your career would be after 2019 uh, when i won a world championship i understood that uh, i not so bad in ultra runnings <laughs> so pandemics one begins uh, my job was closed so i fully focused on running maybe this biggest part because my results was growing up then in 2020, uh, before that, I, I ran alone. After 2020, Sebastian Belodzewski, it's a Poland guy from Polish. Uh, I have now a coach. Uh, he's coaching me. It's other part of my result. I think it, the best part is full running full I, I became a pro running runner uh, and that I, I understand that my results grow up they I decided to break break broke Yozak sorry sorry your record uh, in in 2021 in in the spring yeah i tried to to beat him uh, it was a re really good story because i ran just only 100 miles then when about 10 laps be before the finish uh, organizer gives me a paper with with words i tried to read and there was if you run until 12 you can beat and 12 hours world record so first minds was oh no 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 sorry <laughs> i'm tempo. i just finished my hundred and that's all but after few 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 laps i understand that i never never uh, i beat you every uh, beat myself every 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 all my life that i don't finished and i keep keep running so that day i I beat two two records. Yeah, that is so funny that you that that was your experience. And this is off the off the questions I sent, but um, I, I have to share this story with you. When I ran my first track hundred miler, I had finished one hundred miler before that, but it was the Western States one hundred, so it was a very different experience being in the on the trails. And 
I had that same, that same thing. I was there to run a hundred miles. I didn't even know there was a 12 hour like record. I didn't know that existed. So when I got to about 90 miles, the race director told me, Hey, when you hit a hundred miles, you're going to have some time left before 12 hours. So you should stay out here. And <laughs> it was so funny because all for 90 miles that day, all I was thinking about was running a hundred miles. And now all of a sudden I had this other thing in the back of my mind too, about yeah. like, seeing how far you can get in 12 hours. So that is, that's funny that that had that same thing kind of happened with you where you're so narrowly focused on what the goal was originally that, uh, that other side of it just wasn't really, um, in the back of your mind until it became, uh, became a reality that you were going to have some time left on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and after that, after this record, I understand that I can, I can, try to 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 beat the Yanis Kuros 24 hours because uh 170 kilometers per, per 12 hours it's just more 133 and record will be yours so i began prepare and that this year must be world championship somewhere i don't remember where in romania yes romania but uh, pandemic was began so i changed my plan i I choose a Poland, Poland championship. And this year, 2021 in autumn, I beat Yanis uh, Kuros to a new record was 309 kilometers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think after you ran that 100 mile, people were thinking, well, what's next? What's next for, for Mr. Sorokin and his uh, his efforts on the ultra running circuit and you did just that you turned your direction towards Giannis's 24-hour world record which many people would, would have considered to be unbreakable I think records are rarely if ever unbreakable but that one was probably one of the strongest world records that ultra running had at the time and I was following that race when you did it it was just really interesting to watch your pacing because it looked pretty similar to your pacing strategy for the 100 mile and 12 hour world record you had ran where you were maybe running a little bit faster than world record pace uh but not not a ton and you just ran what i would consider a very very kind of cleanly paced race that got you to for for the american listeners here what ended up being 192.5 miles and going you know just under three miles past Giannis's record in the past um when you crossed the line for that was your first thought i can go further or were you thinking okay now i need to go back and run 100 miles again what did you what was your first experience when you when you first crossed that finish line and had that world record broken um, uh, if i understand your question when i finished uh, i understand that i don't show my maximum i understand that i can improve uh, that result but much more and uh, that day when i broke a uh, record uh, it was left about 40 minutes before the end uh, I, and motivation was gone so pace going down like no motivation no goals so so i just wanted to finish uh, this race and Maybe you ask it for other goals. Can you explain again your question, please? Yeah, like when you finished that 24-hour world record, did you think like, I want to try some other events next? Or did you think, 
I'll probably try to break this record again or do this again. Like what was your first initial thought after crossing that finish line? Uh, yes. Next, next year was European championship. So I understand that I wanted, I need to do something. I need to prepare for this European championship, but I need to have some, some races before because uh, European championship will be in autumn. So I need to find uh, races uh, in spring, for example. <clears throat> and I choose 100. I never thought that I can beat 100 kilometers because, because I felt that I'm too slow to, to beat this distance. I saw that if you want to break 100, you need to run marathon faster than, for example, 220. Um, but, but I don't know how, but, but I did. I broke the 100 kilometers. Oh, before it was one, one, 100 miles, yes? Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember this year. It was very, <laughs> very busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, very, for me, it was very, boost my results. It's Kenyan uh, camp. So I was, I was three times this year before all main race in Kenya. So I, I had very good experience for top runners. So I understand and I understood that I'm very, very slow. When you go to stadium to do fast training, you run maximum of your ability and you hear the train of, of Kenyan guys just <sighs> run through you. It was this moralic, oh, it's very hard to run. But Kenya gives me give me a little boost to my result. So when I was was first time in December, come back and uh, had race in Israel, 100 miles and 12 hours. So that Kenyan camp possibly gives me that boost, and I broke uh, that record again. Now it's. 177, yes, 1 to 77 of 12 hours and 100 miles, 1051. Mm -hmm. And I understand that Kenya, it's boost for me. I need to go back again before European Championship and before 100. So as you know, the results uh, show. Yes. They definitely show. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to hear you talk about this because it sounds like when you broke Giannis's 24-hour world record, you kind of thought, I'm gonna do this 24 hour at the European Championships and see if I can better it. And you knew you had to race in the meantime. Most people, when they do what you consider like a tune-up race or races in the process, they're not breaking world records when they do it. So I think that's the, one of the interesting things about this story. And just to kind of fill in some of the stuff you talked about, uh, like when, when runners compete at a world-class level, they often kind of move up in distances over their career where, you know, they might start out running shorter distance endurance events. And then as they age, they kind of just go a little longer and longer uh, in their distance. But when you broke Giannis's 24 hour world record, you went down in distance, you went down, to that uh, 100 mile race that you talked about and ran 10:51:39 for 100 miles and then crossed past 110 miles for 12 hours uh rebreaking your records in both of those uh and then 
set your sights on that hundred kilometer where you ran, ran a six hour essentially. And then also the hundred K your hundred K time was six Oh five 41. Your, uh, six hour split was 98.496 kilometers, all world records. Uh, you answered why that the reason for that you were, you were essentially looking to put in some races and maybe do some speed work and preparation for ultimately what you just recently did. And I think that's just really interesting that that's how that played out. And I think it makes a lot of sense when I think of the the training processes that I like to do. I do like to do faster stuff earlier before I do something longer, because I think that is going to be a valuable component to your fitness. And then ultimately, when you have like, say, eight weeks before a race, doing things that are very specific to what you'll be doing on your goal races, like that's the time to really get that nice and sharp. And it seems like you sort of followed that that trajectory over the course of a year and uh, just happen to have a lot of success with some of those shorter races along the way. <clears throat> um, can you explain that uh, what different before between 124 hours uh, preparing? Yeah, just I just think like the relative pace, maybe less so the 100 mile, but definitely like the 100K because like your pace for the 100K would have been like sub six minute mile pace. Um, so like you're racing at a higher intensity for hundred K than you would for 24 hours where you're averaging seven fifteen uh, minutes per mile pace. So I just wonder like how important you think it is to have that kind of speed that you would have developed to train for that hundred kilometer, uh, versus the pace you'd be doing for 24 hours. So did your training, was your training different for that hundred kilometer race then, than it would have been for what you did at the eight weeks leading into the 24 hour? So difference, it's not much. Maybe just I just do more mileage before 24 hours, but the speed work, it's like the same. I did, I can explain for, for my plan. For example, in Kenya, I do long runs two times per week. I do a uh, little faster tra training session. For example, I go to stadium on Tuesdays. I go, I do, I do 10 times by one kilometer fast, uh, about my 90% of my maximum and with, with small uh, rest. Uh, other day in Thursdays, for example, I do a little uh, slower, but fast about two, three kilometers, a few times, five, uh, seven, maybe seven times. So before 24 hours, I did the same things just in long runs i improved my mileage first time i run more than 50 kilometers per per train uh, i did some 60 kilometers 70 so i i i think that in ultra running from 100 kilometers to 24 hours uh, training plan is almost the, the same just mm. you need to try to keep your boost your speed, maybe stamina, and everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. When you do those 50 kilometer training sessions, were you doing them faster for the 100 kilometer buildup then too? Or were you still doing those at around the same pace as you did for the 24 hour? Um, no, I try to, to run faster than my average pace because 
um, imitation of, um, I don't know, tiredness must be better because if you run slow, 50K, it's, it's nothing. You need to try to put your uh, body to, to, to feel the tiredness. So run, I run, I like run fast because I, first of all, I want to end my training so uh, much faster because I want to eat. I want, I'm shaping, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm lazy guy. <laughs> so I want to finish my jo- job, my work and go, go to eat, go to sleep. So <laughs> it keeps me going faster. That's, that's the main thing. That's funny. That's funny. I, I, I understand that. I'm sure you were probably hungry more often than not during some of those training, training buildups. So uh, that brings me kind of my next question. And one that a lot of people who uh, recognized that I was going to have you on this podcast wanted me to ask you. And it was, if you can just kind of walk us through what a typical day looked like when you were putting together those final eight weeks before your most recent 24 hour world record, when you were training over in Kenya, can you just explain to us like, when you wake up in the morning, what is kind of the process that you go through the, through the course of that day before you go to bed again that that night? First of all, I like run on empty stomach, so I wake up, uh, drink a cup of coffee, and prepare prepare for my first training. Uh, if it long runs, it's about forty to sixty, for example, kilometers uh, pace about four maybe 350 uh, per kilometer uh, i don't know what is in miles sorry uh, i take with me about if i live in kenya i try to take with me about one liter of liquids because when you run you can uh, fool any anything you you need just keep everything with with, with you maybe a few of few cookies and after that when i finished i came back i do some stretching and so like i said a lazy guy i i do normally stretching just just imitation of stretching then i go eat sleep if i had gym day so i do some exercises i like do exercise with my body not with weights but sometimes I go to gym, work with weights. I do normally exercises, for example, for squats, maybe for, for calves, uh, some jumps, maybe, uh, I don't know, sp- special exercises for runners. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing special. And then I go back, eat, sleep, and evening recovery running, it's about one. Uh, 10 15 kilometers and day is over <laughs> i scroll some internet maybe play some games and go sleep yeah that's really interesting that was one thing i was curious about was when you were doing those training camps if you were taking naps during the day i had to in, in my mind i was thinking you were doing that first run and then definitely sleeping a bit in between those sessions in order to be able to kind of put in that level of volume and it sounds like if I understood you correctly, you're sometimes taking two naps during the day. Yeah, sometimes yes, but uh, mostly uh, I have one, 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 mm-hmm. just one. Yeah, so you're literally eating, sleeping, and running for the most part. 
<laughs> yeah, like like everybody run sleep eat repeat yeah <laughs> there you go you are the living embodiment of that quote uh they should they should probably uh put your name on all of those shirts going forward <laughs> yes hey folks just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors include ultimate direction and their hydration products bottles belts packs backpacks vests and lmnt's electrolyte powder if you would like to support the show by checking out these products, head over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. So this is this is great. So I want to get into a little bit of the kind of how things played out at the European 24-hour championships for you, because I think this one looked a little bit different to me following along. Uh, this year, you your previous world records are marked with kind of a common theme from what I gather. And it was like kind of just a slight positive split where you start off a little bit faster than world record pace. You'd slow maybe a little bit, but not much at all. I think most people looking at your splits for your previous world records would consider it about as perfectly executed of a pacing strategy as one could imagine for running 24 hours or 100 miles or 100 kilometers. But for this time, for the 24-hour world championships, when you started that first like four to six hours, you were running a fair bit faster than you were the previous time when you broke Giannis's record. And I would say about 25%, the first 25% of that race, you were running like mid six minute mile pace. Uh, was that kind of part of the strategy uh, to go out a little bit faster or was in your mind, were you thinking, like, what were you thinking? What was the, the difference there or the strategy there, if anything? Now I think I, I have few had few mistakes. First of all, it's bad tactics. Uh, yes, uh, as you said, uh, it was too fast, too fast for for first half. So, but I wanted, I thought that I can beat, I can take this pace for first twelve hours. But I take don't keep in my mind that. It's World uh, European Championship. There will be a lot of people, and you need to change your uh, how to explain. Um, can you help me, Zach? So you're trying to get separated, so you weren't running in a yeah. big group. Okay. Yeah, big, big group. You need to to run zigzags because you need to to. Uh, run through the people mm -hmm. yeah this time lap was i think it's very hard because they had some uh, very very um, shape uh, turns you need almost stop and run again it's physically it's very very hard after 12 hours i understood that pace was too too fast and i i have a broke point about after 12 hours and others uh, other half was very painful i suffered just minds that big job was uh, was did and i can't stop i need to run but it's where it was very very hard what part mm -hmm. um, so if you want to show your best pb you need to choose some small competition and try to 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 show there, but not in world championship and European championship. 
because it was lap length about 1,500 meters, and we had more than 300 people. You understand that mm-hmm. everyone had just a four meters for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll just add some stuff to that too, because I know, like, as you know, I've run races on tracks before, like yourself, like 400 meter tracks and really short loops, and that is the hardest thing to figure out for for I think people who are either running a shorter distance on a day like that with a group of people running a further distance, or if you're just the fastest person out there is you're going to actually run further than what your end end distance shows. Cause you're, you're going around people. Uh, so it sounds like you were trying to kind of separate yourself from that a little bit. And then I did look at that course. It did not look like a fast course and it looks fast comparative to like what we see in like the trail running community. But as far as, running world records on flat terrain it wasn't the easiest course i've ever seen and uh you know you still you still persevered and that got my head thinking i started thinking well if sorokin decides to go out on a more consistent course that doesn't have that 180 degree turn and you start out at like seven minutes per mile you might run 205 to almost 210 miles like that's not outside of the realm of of, of possibility. So are you already thinking about what am I going to do next? Are you going to try to get on, like, say maybe a track with less people? And then is there a number in your head that you think I can hit that? Yeah, I have some numbers in my head. So other side, after this European championship, I now very motivated to run again that 24 hours, maybe somewhere else uh, in numbers i think that 230 kilometers it's not a limit i can try to to beat this distance in miles i think it's two yes 200 maybe eight ten miles mm-hmm yeah, it's really fascinating to think about. And uh, I look forward to seeing you try that in the future because it's going to be fun to watch someone. I, mean, I think it's everyone who followed you took any time to look at the course, took any time to look at your pacing strategy, I think realizes like just a couple of, a couple things that are going to be pretty easy for you to fix puts you past 200 miles for sure. And I think everyone is very excited to see the day that someone crosses that 200 mile mark for 24 hours it'll be a historic day for sure um i want to jump into some of the things that you're doing along the way because when you're running 24 hours there is the physical component that you take care of with training there's the mental component that you take care of with training and then in the race itself but you're out there for so long you also have to take care of certain needs like eating and drinking so do you follow any particular way of eating while you're out there running or what does your fueling strategy look like when you're out there running 24 hours? The main plan always the same. Uh, I, I try to, to eat about 400 kilocalories per hour and drink about 500 milliliters of liquids. It, uh, I like sandwiches, uh, all junk food. I have all the time, for example, sandwiches, um, chocolate bars, uh, cookies, chips, 
bananas, oranges, colas, uh, tears, and some brand of isotonic drinks, some gels. And I try to mix every time because because if you, if you eat the same food uh, after a few hours, uh, your stomach will say, sorry, sorry, I can't eat anymore like this. So I try to do mix. Uh, at, in the beginning, everything okay. Stomach work correctly. I can think no, normally, but after 12 hours, everything is changing. Stomach was tired, have tiredness. I can uh, think normally. So support is now. Now it's time to 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 work for of supporters. The, the, that's where last competition. I want to. I, I have uh, some secrets now. I can explain you. Uh, I run with beer. So Camila one time <laughs> sends me that she runs with beer. Now I try this this time, and I think beer uh, was helped me to to to. A little low my uh, pain pain in my legs so it was very good i run this beer this time uh, the secret weapon for the world records of 24 hours seems to be beer for whatever reason yeah. <laughs> yes that is that is funny um i want to talk a little more about nutrition as well i know you mentioned when we were talking about your training in kenya that you would do your long sessions in the morning with an empty stomach because you preferred it that way uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're eating during the day for those trainings when you're not running? Uh, and then is there a purpose to not eating before that long run? Or is it just because that's the way you you feel best going out into those runs with an empty stomach? So my diet, it's not different when I run or not run, but uh, I have problem with my overweight because I'm after, after kayaking, I have a more muscles than average runner so i always fight with my overweight before races i need to keep diet so i accept um, all easy uh, fast carbs so i know you you take a keto diet it's true yes yeah i would say it's kind of lower carbohydrate for sure mm -hmm. okay so so I try to to don't eat uh, sweets and fast carbs and try to to grow my weight down. But in average day, I eat everything. I can after after a long run eat uh, one liter of ice cream or eat all pack of pasta, half kilogram. So it doesn't nothing for me. Yeah. I like to eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for some context for people paying attention or not paying attention, I should say to your training, uh, when you're in training, you are hitting 200 mile weeks fairly frequently during that last buildup. I actually looked at your final eight weeks leading into the race itself. And on average, you were over 200 miles per week on an average. So I think when, when you say you, you can eat anything you literally probably can given the, the energy output that you're giving for that sort of stuff. Uh, and then it sounds like once you get to the end of training and begin tapering for the race, you pay a little closer attention to diet so that you don't kind of overfeed yourself in those few weeks before the race itself. 
Okay, can you explain uh, that uh, about my nutrition before? Uh, can you explain please uh, your sure. question? Yeah, I was just looking at just, I think it was less of a question and more just kind of letting the listeners know that like the context of what you're doing here, it's like you're training for those eight weeks, you're oftentimes running like 200 miles in a week on average. So like the amount of food that you get, you eat or uh, require to kind of put in that training is very high. But then when you get a couple of weeks out from the race and you want to start resting, you start paying a little closer to how much you're eating? Um, uh, I, I try to, I, I try to just, like I said, uh, don't eat easy sweets, mm -hmm. don't eat uh, more easy, fast carbos. So I, maybe my diet, it's more like keto diet, but, uh, I, and I understand that it's very fast. My weight is growing down, but before the race, uh, I try to, put in my 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 body a lot of carbos it's like you know maybe placebo maybe no but i feel i feel full of carbos i understand that my muscle is very powerful powerful for running so that's that's all i think mm -hmm. that makes sense uh i have uh just a Cup, one more training question before I get into some, I think, fun future questions for you. And the one training question is like following you on Strava. And I recommend anyone listening to this, this podcast who really is interested in your, your style to go check out your Strava profile and follow you on there as well as your Instagram page. Cause you do share a lot of your training on there as well. And it looks like you're putting in training that I would consider like very, very high volume, um, is that something that you think you can continue to do or is that that's that level of high volume training unsustainable for for many many years uh, yes my mileage is increased years of the years i try to run more and more and more but i don't think that my my job it's very high because i i took some program some plans from cross country skiers you know, they work very hard, very lo lo lot. For example, Norwegian cross skiers uh, do works about six hours per day. They run so many hours on the legs. So if they can, uh, ultra runners uh, need to do something like that. Uh, very high, very much, uh, many hours on, on the legs. So it's... it's I think it's very boost for your results. Of course, you need to to try avoid your injury, but but you need to 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 do very many many hours on on the legs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have proven that it works. So, <laughs> so I, I think that's really interesting. Are you doing anything like massage and stuff to kind of help with uh, the soreness? Because I think the one difference between say like the skiers and runners is the impact of running is higher. Do you notice that the impact of running is makes it difficult to do those type of training weeks? Or have you found that just doing it gradually, like you explained, has you prepared to be able to handle that at a better rate than maybe some people can? Well, it's very individual. Of course, everybody has a pick what you have, what, what your body can, take but 
Yes, of course, I have a physiotherapist who, show, who watch me if I have a, any problems with, with my legs, with my muscles and joints. So I go to, to him and he is do, doing massages and so on. <clears throat> yes. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, let's hop into some, some future uh, efforts that, that I'm curious about for you. So when I kind of think of like the races that you, you have sort of preferred or targeted to date, there are a couple that stand out in my head as ones that I think would be really interesting to see you do. And I'd like to hear what your thoughts are about them, or if there's any other ones that you're, you're interested in. Um, but as a fan of the sport, there's two events that I selfishly want to see you compete at. The first one is the Spartathlon. I know you've run Spartathlon and won it already, but I can't help but think that your 22 hours at Spartathlon in, was it 2019, I think, um, is 18. 2018. I have a, a, a sneaking suspicion you can maybe run a couple hours faster now. So I'm curious if you have any plans of going back to Spartathlon. And then a second one is the Comrades Marathon, which is relatively short compared to what you've done with the 24 hour stuff, but not too far off from hundred kilometers. And I think your hundred kilometer world record would indicate that you would be highly competitive at a race like the comrades marathon. Uh, what are your thoughts about those two events? Are they ones that you think you may, we will do in the future? Yeah, I, I thought about comrades. Yes. Maybe, maybe next, next year I try to, to, to run there. It's my, I don't have a plan for next year, but I think it's two things we want to do is my, is my team. It's a comrades uh, marathon and it's uh, not actually project, but, but maybe, maybe, maybe in the spring, we try to do like a Kipchoge did, try to run 100 sub six, it's will be a big project from us about Spartathlon. Maybe, maybe, but I think not this second year, but other, yeah, possibly yes. But I don't think now about Spartathlon. Those the two things. And of course, 24 hours, we have unfinished deal with this distance. That seems to be the one where I think you uh you really want to see where your limit is at, and I am equally as excited I think to see where your limit is at at 24 hours. So I'm glad that you're keeping that one on the table. Um, if we want to think even further than say the next one or two years, I find it really interesting with ultra marathon because you can always go further, and as we age as athletes you know, some of the shorter events become a little more difficult. You get to a point where you can no longer run as fast as you could when you were younger, but there are other opportunities there. So far you've run races that go up to 24 hours, but do you think at some point in your career, you will start challenging any of Kuros's multi-day timed events, like 48 hours, 72 hours, or six day events? Um, yes. I, I thought about, uh, 48 hours. Maybe in future I, I need to try to do it, but now I, I can't understand. My brain can't explain how how can run more than 24 hours. Then when you run 24 hours, it's so tough, so so suffering. Wow, one more 24 hours, it's 
this mind killing me. <laughs> I don't know, but I need to try. I need to try it for the eight hours, for example. Yes. Awesome. Well, it's it's very exciting to hear what you have planned, how you've prepared to date, and what has it what it actually has taken for you to kind of achieve what you have achieved so far. Um, before I let you go, though, I would love to have you share with the listeners like where they can find you. Is there a website or some social media places that you are active on that people can follow along? So I have a uh, YouTube uh, channel. It's uh, named like Alexander Sorokin. If you try to find, uh, you, you will find. So in Strava, I have the same Alexander Sorokin and Instagram, Facebook, the same ultra runner alexander sorokin if you put it in the uh, google for example you will try you will, will find me so please. awesome and i will link all that stuff to the show notes and on the show episode landing page as well so anyone who wants to follow alexander and find out what he's up to and watch him go after more records as the years go on you can you can do that uh this has been great. I'm, I'm honored that you took some time after, you know, just recently having a race that you did to come on and talk with me for a bit and kind of share some of your experience and things like that. But if there's anything else you want to share, feel free to do it. Otherwise, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Zach, for you, you invite me. Thank you. Take care. Hopefully we can do this again in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. 